0: The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT KUTX Studios and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens and you are listening to... tell us stories anonymously right and we give these stories we call them confessions we give them to bands and songwriters who write and record an original song based on that anonymous story on this podcast you're going to hear the confession you're going to hear the song and inspired and you're going to hear an interview with the songwriters i'm sitting here with my favorite little alarm what's your name hey yo i'm zach hey zach how are you doing i'm doing all right this week how you doing I'm doing alright. But let's just tell everyone how you're really doing. What were you just doing in the bathroom?
1: I was pulling a nose hair out. It, Which, it might have
0: been a mustache hair that was stabbing my nose. I'm honestly not sure. For a couple dudes like us, it's hard to know sometimes if it's a mustache or it's a nose hair. It's hard to know. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've been having I've been struggling with this as well recently.
1: Apparently, when you hit your mid 30s, your nose hairs get a little long. If you're wondering, That's when it happens.
0: See, I was going to blame the global pandemic. (laughs) Just
1: accelerated hair growth. Yeah, just accelerated hair growth. Are you balding? Have a pandemic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, positive effects. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, here we are today doing what we do. What's the name of the band that we will be hearing from? We've got C. Moya. Two words. C. Moya. S. E. A. M-O-Y-A, Simoya. And Simoya is from Germany. From Germany. And they're one of the only bands I know of who describes their music uh, accurately, and it makes me want to listen to them. They call themselves German Krautbeat. Could you break down that description for us?
1: Well, as we said, they are German. True. First word. Kraut, another word for German, <laughs> but also describes a very specific type of music that's like, industrial euro dance beat-ish? What? Yeah. I don't I even, think... I, I can can hear kraut in my head, but describing it, I'm realizing the moment's kind of hard.
0: Kraut rock is uh, uh, repetitive. Repetitive, yeah. Relatively up-tempo. Mm-hmm. Usually up-tempo. Um, nonsensical lyrics is sort of a feature of mm-hmm. kraut rock. Uh, Not too many like melodic
1: choruses. It's like Oh, yeah, no chorus. Like but if it is, it maybe a, may a chorus, but it's like a monotone chant almost.
0: Yeah, so so famous kraut rock bands, uh, Can, or if you're pretentious, Con. Con. Craftwork. <laughs> um, Craftwork, probably the most famous. I think so. New. Mm-hmm. All amazing bands with records you should check out. But I'm going to go ahead and say don't do that now. Yeah, check out Seemoya instead. Check out this amazing song they wrote for us, which is called... Hash, hash. hash. Wait, one more time, let's try to say it at the same time. Hash, hash. Yeah. Walker, how did this band come into our lives? It's a fun story involving um, Jack and Kurt from the Riley Social Hour. Basically, Kurt gave Jack a Moya record because he thought he would like their music. And Jack liked their music and looked them up online, just like, man, I want to know about this band. Found out that they were coming to the next south by southwest hit them up was like hey we should do some shows together um and they did and they took simoya on tour on north america uh i love that story because it illustrates what i think is great about jack and then having met these simoya guys which you'll hear more about them in the interview you can totally see that spirit of like oh i'm gonna make a new friend and tripalo them for the summer totally yeah it's
1: very it's very much that like I mean, our experience of the Austin music scene just Mm -hmm. on an international scale of just like, oh, this is a cool track. I wonder who's doing it. Oh, it's this person. They seem kind of cool. Let's see if we could play some shows together. It's like so nonchalant and old school in the Mm -hmm. way it developed. I remember Jack sending me uh, the first single off of their album. It was before the album was even released. And I didn't realize where they had come from or the
0: connection at all. And I just heard the song. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I I think about C-Moya... Very regularly, uh, because when I DJ, I more or less always play the song "Blown." Yeah, it's a great, it's a it's great, a great
1: song. song for a DJ set in particular, and and especially when it's something super groovy that
0: people don't recognize, makes mm-hmm. you feel like a good DJ. Definitely, <laughs> it has uh, an elusive quality to it. That song, that when you're, or at least the way I DJ, I'm always looking for, which is that I can reset the tempo because when you DJ you know you got to kind of keep it at the same tempo it can be mm-hmm. very jarring and it can really ruin a dance party if you by mistake slow the music down or slow the speed of the songs down mm-hmm. and then people are like it just feels terrible you have to keep the tempo steady but whenever you play the song blown it's it's a slow funky song and for some reason you can play it after anything and it still works
1: good way to slow the tempo down yeah. to kind of change the mood for the rest of the set
0: exactly well there you go i have a feeling that hash hash might become that kind of song because it's so funky and so funky
1: syrupy you you would never hear this song and think that three white boys from germany
0: are playing those instruments because they got serious rhythm zach what can you tell us about the confession that inspired hash hash
1: today's confession is an international tale that seems straight out of a hollywood movie have you ever done drugs in a foreign country have you ever done drugs in a foreign country that are punishable by death have you ever done drugs in a foreign country that are punishable by death death and the only reason you're there is because a really rich guy paid you to come record music
2: Alright, I was in New York City and I was in a, a group we used to play at this club called New Blue on Avenue C between 4th and 5th and a lot of really great music happened there and sometimes it would start pretty pretty late at night uh, There was a band, friends of mine had a band they started called the Brazilian Girls and they ended up doing real well, but they started on Sunday night at like sometimes one in the morning and it was just packed, you know, beautiful people. And I became friends with these guys and we all just kind of ran around like a pack. And, um, you know, I had that Texas songwriter thing. And these guys were making New York dance music and stuff. But these, you know, musicians like all kinds of music, so these guys like my songs and wanted to hang out and kind of have a little bit of that in their life and we would start playing at parties and pull out the guitars and sing for people which was at the time it seemed like for these kind of people it was more of a nightlife scene to see these guys break out guitars and start singing harmonies together was uh unique in this in the streets of the city and um one day um somebody stopped us on the street and liked us and made friends and asked us to come up to his dinner party and play. And we accepted. And um, he, was, he was a wealthy Lebanese guy that I didn't, we didn't know much about him, but he had fancy friends and he had these fancy dinner parties with the, he cook himself and had the most amazing food and amazing conversation and free-flowing booze. And then he asked us to play and it became a thing where over the next few years we were on the phone list where it's like dinner tonight at seven bring your guitar and at one point he got the idea that he could help me make a record and i said great i'll need x amount of dollars and i want promotion money and it's going to look like this and he thought about it and he came back and he said i'd like to make a record with you in beirut I didn't know anybody in Beirut and I, my band was in New York and all the players and all the studios. But I kind of wanted to go to Beirut. And, he, and it was the kind of thing where it was like, okay, we're leaving on Friday. You know, it was like, I had like a few days to or get my stuff in order and go to Beirut. And there was his Beirut friends and international people and dinner parties and then I'd play. And I felt, you know, like, is this really going to happen? Um, and it ended up, the, the the story I want to tell. I'm taking a long way to get there, but I'm Take just your time. I'm just finding myself in, in Beirut, and he um he knows you know I'm a musician and maybe I like to you know, you know dr- drink but have a little relaxing party too. So he said, you know the hash here is good, but it's extremely. Illegal. So I'm gonna give you this ball of hash, and here's a little something you can smoke it out of. But do not, under any circumstances, take it out of this house. If something happens to you, I can't help you. Okay? Then you'd smoke this hash, beautiful body high, but it was nothing. It wasn't. Didn't even barely. It didn't get you going like the Willie's Reserve or something. It didn't like make you forget your life or your name, like the stuff you can smoke nowadays. You know, it was just kind of mellow. Didn't seem to do much. I liked it. You know, I smoked a couple balls of this stuff over the course of a couple weeks. And it was time to go home. And we were having a late night party. And it was the wildest party of the week. Like, people getting drunk and making out in different rooms and smoking hash and just kind of a wild party. I had to get up and leave it, like, you know, right at the crack. Like, 5.36 in the morning, they had a driver for me. And I just kind of slept in my clothes and got out of there, feeling super hungover. And uh, I got to the airport line. My hair is a mess. I got sunglasses on. I've got like turquoise jewelry and my, my Texas, you know, you know Texas style button-down shirt is hanging, hanging wide and unbuttoned. And I, just, I look like a scraggly. American musician. They just, like, swipe your hand and they swipe your pants and, they, and then they put it in a machine and they're looking for any kind of bombs or explosive but also for illegal drugs. There, the big the big thing, is a pop or hash. So they put it in this machine. It looks like it's out of the 60s. Like, it's a giant machine and the big lights go off. Eh, eh, and they go, hash, hash. And I'm just kind of observing what's going on and then they run to me and they grab my passport and they grab all my things and... I realized that I have set this damn machine off for hash. And I start thinking, well, I definitely was smoking it and it was on my hands and maybe it was, did I put, what did I, what did I end up doing with that? Did I finish it? I left it there, didn't I? Yeah, I I definitely didn't put it on me. I'm sweating thinking like, I'm just thinking about the, I can't help you if something happens to you. And there's the militaries there and we don't have diplomatic relations with with Lebanon, and i would have been i I would have been i maybe would still been there and um they tore up my suitcase and they tore up my guitar and they 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 threw threw my stuff all over the floor and checked all my pockets and made me take off my shoes and socks and checked everything they could check it took a long time where to the point where i was like I'm about 12 minutes to go to some gate. I, I don't know how far it is. I'm, I'm going to miss, I have to pack now, repack my stuff and get out of here. But I haven't gotten my passport back yet. And nobody's really speaking any English to help me out. And there was some super hippies like behind me, like 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 uh, Middle Eastern hippies with like bell-bottom jeans and tall Boots. They looked like they could have been in a Middle Eastern funk band or something, and they just smelled like patchouli and shit. They swiped those guys. They had duffel bags that looked like Cheech and Chong, like they were just stuffed military duffel bags that were stuffed with something that it would take forever to even get through and restuff. They were packed. They swiped, hit those guys, bam, 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 hash! And all these bulldogs that were searching through my stuff look up. And they sprint over to this other couple dudes, and I, I'm thinking, that's got to be a good sign, right? I mean, this must be it. So I go to the the one guy who was being the, the leader. He was a short little, like, bulldog dude who was so rude to me. I looked in his eyes, and I knew he just wanted to take me down. He, he wanted me. And... Um, and i said can i get my passport back and and he didn't want to he wanted to detain me and i there's one kind one man had a kind face that my my uh, guitar went through the uh, scanner and my boots and things you know they went through this so the guy was looking at me he kept shrugging his shoulders and had like like he was on my side like hey sorry i don't know what's going on here so I, he spoke a little english and i said i really need my passport back if they haven't found anything i think can I just pack and go? I'm going to miss my flight, and it's an international flight. And he said, he walked over said, talk to the guy. And the guy nodded said, okay. So he gave me my passport. The guy brought me my passport back. I pack up all my shit, and I run through the airport, and I get on the plane, and I just can't. I'm sweating the entire Way home. I can't even believe it. And I was so scared, and I and I did not want to be in this country anymore. I felt my freedom threatened, and it was just. I can't even describe it. I couldn't even sleep on the plane. I just was totally freaked out, realizing how close it was. And I get home, and I unpack my stuff. And I just take a deep breath, and I I pull my my laptop out of my guitar gig bag. I kept my laptop on the front part of that, and I pulled it out, and I looked at the bottom of it, and there was a little, it looked like a black turd or a piece of gum or something that was stuck on the battery. And I scraped it off with my finger, and I smelled it, and it was the hash. That ball that I had lost, was I put my computer down on the ball and I had a hot battery and it melted the hash onto the battery. So I put it in my little pipe, and I got stoned and kicked my feet up and had a good little laugh.
0: And now, Hash Hash by C. Moya. See we just heard hash hash by C Moya. And, uh, I I actually worked on that song with them because you were on tour. Right. And, uh, and one thing, the the thing I remember the most about that session was that, um, I didn't, I, I was producing it and I didn't really do a lot. Right. Like these guys, uh, had made a lot of music together. It worked really fast. And basically, you know, what I found myself doing was making sure we did things on time and in a good mm-hmm. order. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it was just a very different experience than what I had been used to. Right. You know?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different type of producing, so...
0: Yeah. I, I guess for you, like, what's the what's the it, first producing experience you think of that was super, super atypical from what you normally do? Or yet, what, what's 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 like a typical... Producing experience for you in the studio. Uh,
3: a typical. Well, okay. So, um, the one, the ones that are really cool are if the band is ready to record. Mm-hmm. So, I'll give you an example of that. Like uh, the Heartless Bastards record, I did. Um, we did a bunch of pre-production and did like arrangement ideas and things like that. Then, they so, w- so you, you, you guys decided kind of what all the parts were. Before. A lot of No, the no. I mean, sort of even just roughly, mm-hmm. you know, like it was more like, let's make this a little longer, let's cut this, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like and then we talked about like, oh, that guitar part you're playing, Mark, let's break it up into a couple different takes with different sounds, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um then they went on tour for a month opening for the drive-by truckers oh, cool. and played every song. And so they come back. And I said, "Okay, you're coming back from tour in this day. I'll give you one day off, and then let's go in for f- six days cool. and track everything." And I mean, I was the slowest link there because they were so tight. Once I dialed in sounds, and we were all happy with the with the way the track was sounding, mm-hmm. then they would get it in one take, yeah, or two takes. Uh, and cool. a lot of that record was live, you know. And but it just sounds so so it's- exciting. It's really like the, the kind of classic
0: producing experience. Yeah, recording experience right. where the band knows the song. Exactly right. And you're making sure you capture it well. Yep. Right. And maybe altering a few things here and there. But right. really it's about capturing the performances. Right. I think about the Simoya track, one thing that was fascinating to me is they had absolutely nothing going in.
3: Oh, really? And they okay.
0: they jammed in your live room uh-huh. um bass drums and I think they maybe had one keyboard down there. Mm-hmm. And they came up with the bass and drums groove. Right. And what you hear in the recording, except for the bridge, is just a loop. Oh, wow. It's a long loop. Right. But these guys, you know, it really was the opposite. They took this little live thing and then layered on top of it and wrote all these words after.
3: Right. Something about the track that's really cool, too, is all the little uh, cool percussion stuff. You know, like, was there a little cowbell?
0: Yeah, there's thing, a cowbell, a shaker. Really great. Yeah.
3: And um, also how the how the track stops for the little horn. Mm-hmm. You know, just the the hard edits. I really, really love that kind of stuff.
0: My, my Another memory I have from the session that I uh, will always, I always remember this when I think about this band, is they wanted to put in an alarm sound, okay, right? right? To yeah. kind of mimic the airport where they heard the alarm. Right. And they turned on definitely, I would say, the most intimidating synthesizer you have, which is a Moog source. Oh, it, right. It, it's, 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 an, it's from the 80s. Right. So the way it's kind of set up is is really daunting. It's all, digi- it's all digital. Or it looks digital anyway. Um, they just turned it on. Right. And that was the noise. Oh, wow. No changing. <laughs> it literally just was that alarm noise. And nice. I, I heard one of them upstairs goes, we found the alarm. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Which is amazing. Well, you'll hear more about this in our interview with Simoya. Interview, interview,
2: interview.
4: So my name is David. I mainly play guitar and I sing and do a bunch of synthesizers and sampling stuff. My name is Elias.
5: I'm the bassist, play a bunch of synths and sing as well.
2: My name is Tillman. I play the drums, I sing a little bit and I have a sampler as well.
0: Have you ever uh, accidentally or intentionally smuggled drugs across an international border?
4: I don't think so. Maybe (laughs) we have. Accidentally, maybe. (laughs) So we cross borders a lot, so it was interesting to have that kind of story and have that kind of experiences we have with crossing international borders. in particular crossing the borders into the US which is always a little uh, uh, nervous for us Uh, and we always try to make sure that there's nothing in the car nothing on us we double check.
1: The first time you came over was it was there an element of fear?
5: We had this one uh, experience so we initially thought it would be all right if we uh, uh, wouldn't get paid at all so uh, we thought it's not only South by Southwest we could like enter the country to play shows where we wouldn't get paid um at any point of time so we were about to go on a little trip to New York City from Montreal just to play two shows over the weekend and um, we wanted to cross the border and had like an invitation letter from the promoter but um yeah we got stopped we got pulled over um had to go like inside the building had to show all the documents which was kind of like the standard thing we had to do every time when crossing a border Mm -hmm. but then they asked us if we could show the email conversation with the promoter yeah. and then the whole thing started so i brought brought in my laptop and showed the whole conversation and um yeah in the end it was like f- a 5 hour interrogation they wow. they took us like in different single interrogation rooms asked us questions to see if our uh, stories would, like, match. Jesus. They well, took, like, mugshots shots of each of us, and it was just, I felt like,
4: okay, I'm, like, going to prison. When it was my turn, they told me, uh, your friend already told us everything. I was like, uh, what's like, that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah, and I like, was just was sitting across these two officers, and they actually started reading my emails to me. And I was like, oh, what's happening now? Yeah, they
5: hacked into our email accounts and like read our emails to us from their screen, from their computer. And it was like, okay, what what the hell is going on over here? I'm like, it felt like I would be in my whole human being illegal in that moment. Mm, you know, yeah. it wasn't like, okay, you're going, uh, going to New York City to play a show and that might be not by the rules because uh your uh your visa is only valid for a south by show especially it was like you as a whole human being you're illegal you're right illegal. now and yeah. we'll do everything to get you behind bars
1: isn't it crazy that y- you can feel that feeling when in your heart you know that you're not doing anything wrong. You're playing yeah. music. That's all you're doing is playing music, yet yeah. you're you're sitting there in an interrogation room like you're some okay. kind of criminal.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they make you feel like a criminal. Which is so absurd and was the very yeah. first time that we weren't welcome to enter a country, which was a very new experience, because carrying a German passport is pretty good like all over the world I yeah. guess. And not being able to cross a border into a country and someone telling you you're not allowed Your visa is getting canceled, we're gonna send you back. We're freaking scared. Yeah. It was crazy.
5: Yeah.
4: yeah. So when you came in to to work on this
0: song, y'all had a kind of clear idea about what you wanted to do for the chorus. And uh, I was there with you and I didn't really fully understand what your idea was until like seven or eight hours later. So I'm wondering if you can just describe the chorus of the song mm. because it had like these very specific elements and you knew it sort of before you even started writing the song so like for someone who doesn't uh, who has only heard your song this one time can you like describe
4: the chorus cuz there's only one lyric what's the lyric the lyric is hash hash <laughs> and this one really stood out to us because this person we don't really know his name do we no so, which is so funny. So he told the whole story, which I think is great, and he told it in a really nice way. He told his story in his uh, storytelling voice, but there's this one very special moment which he imitates the machine going, ah, ah, hash, hash, and all the security people at the airport, they start screaming. So that one really stood out to all the three of us and we like listening uh, to the story not together. And we talked about it later, and we were like, yo, that's crazy, we need to use that for the song, because it just stands out, that sound of the machine going, eh, eh, and everybody screaming, hash, hash. So all of us had the same idea, we need to use that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I really, I really love that. (laughs) I love it because it actually sounds like a Timbaland, Missy Elliott kind of hook. Yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like you made it really rhythmic, and I remember in the studio for a second, you were talking about... Taking his actual voice from the confession and using that, but instead you used a synthesizer. Yeah. But so you have the alarm noise and then hash, hash, which was the security or the border patrol or
5: airport security people thought mm. they found hash. Yeah. Yeah. So right before that, he also describes the machine in such a beautiful way, saying, and this machine that looks like out of the 60s goes and everyone is like, hash, hash, or something like that. And this line just stood out to all of us, that's for sure. And one thing we
1: um, really enjoyed uh, about watching your your recording process is like, this is interesting for us because we give musicians kind of a box to work within. There's certain constructs, there's certain like rules to some extent. And you guys kind of took that further and made more rules, which <laughs> was kind of, kind of fun when you're sitting in a studio where the, you know, it's limitless. There's so many options. Yeah. And you're like, you know, let's take this box we're in and make it a little smaller, build a few more walls and, you know, using only monophonic and things like that. What, what made you kind of decide to do that
4: with this? So the fact that it was coming, uh, he was traveling to Lebanon and made us digging into Arabic music and started to think about if we should use certain elements, but then we kind of figured out we can't really do it because we don't know shit about all the (laughs) scales and stuff and we didn't want to try it and it just, maybe it's from Morocco or maybe it's from Syria and it's not actually from Lebanon. So, but we read that it's mainly not about using chords and harmonies, it's just about melodies and monophonic stuff. And I guess we like to challenge ourselves and that's uh, when we thought about let's just try it because we usually work a lot with chords and harmonies just to get a, a basis for the song and to get an idea what the a melody for the voice could be like so that was I guess a way to challenge ourselves So so what were the limitations you gave
0: yourselves for, for this song, for this recording?
5: We only wanted to use monophonic mm-hmm um elements so no chords and um yeah <laughs> well it's actually and pretty I, much i think you you did
0: it there's not one instrument that plays a full chord
2: in the song only only the there's uh the voice gets doubled by uh a female voice that's i think that's the only moment when it gets uh polyphonic polyphonic yeah okay
1: it's a fun it's a fun challenge and it it seems like Mm. it went well (laughs) (laughs) i hope so that's kind of um some something else i i've noticed you guys seem to have a lot of knowledge about uh world sounds and world music in general and a lot of influence um I have an Afrobeat background. I hear a lot of that yeah. Afrobeat, you know, kind of thing in your music as well. I'm curious uh, how that developed. Do you, is there like a specific moment where you remember saying, "This is the sound we want," or "This is who we are"? Where do you know where that came from? So,
5: my mom would always play like African drums and stuff in like weird hippie drum circles you know like that sort of things and i was always when i was younger i would like jump in i don't know grabbing percussion instruments Mm -hmm. like uh just vibing with it but then later when i grew a little older i would kind of like walk away from it because it's this weird like german parents meet up every three weeks to have like this drum circle and it feels so weird (laughs) and it doesn't feel real um but then later when i was like getting more into electronic music and um I don't know. My my taste would just spread out, and I started DJing as well. Then I started to dig in uh, to African sounds again, and like initially, really through like compilations on Soundway Records and stuff like that, which is which has gotten quite popular by now. And then from there, my intre- interest in African music just grew. And I think then I influenced David a little bit by showing him stuff and being like, yo, you gotta listen to that, that's insane, Do you, can you hear this like rhythm section, how they flow and stuff? But to be honest, at first I was totally confused. I was like, what is that, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the time we were like listening to Nicolas Jar and, you know, like, He's probably influenced by a lot of like middle American and like South American uh, music, but it's very synth heavy. Mm -hmm. And then um, just digging into that like real and honest world of uh, yeah groove and feel of African music just opened up a lot for us, I guess like all of us. And then from that point, it just spreads out. It mm-hmm. feels like if you if you dig into African music, you'll find it all over the place. Like oh yeah, everything, everywhere, and that's just like a source. Okay, so
0: the, the other thing I noticed about you guys that, that I really liked is uh, you made a playlist of of like inspiration songs for this recording, and. You just pointed to Elias. Was that your idea? Yeah. Do you normally do that when you work on music? Like, are you really clear about what's inspiring
5: you? or, Or was that just for this? Actually, I love to do playlists for inspirational use, you know? Like, stuff that I would get inspired by just for only... One element, maybe even, but then putting things together in an own song, it can just draw from whole different places. Like having, I don't know, Susanne Ciani, like a synth modular jam in an in a playlist next to like a techno track, and that one is next to like a Thai psychedelic. The mm-hmm. song, and then you kind of like grab some elements from that, and that, and that, and put it all together, mix it up, and see what the risotto uh, sounds like. Kind <laughs> of. Well, and, and the thing
0: that I noticed, well, you can't also you can't control what the other musicians are going to take from the inspiration, but the thing I noticed was you you had a ver- you had a very specific song that you were thinking about the groove and then just watching the three of you play in the room, it it changed. Like, I w- was able to watch the groove change from, hey, we're going to kind of try to rip off this one thing into the thing it was, and it's just very, um, very honest. Like, a, a lot of um, bands, they're really touchy and sensitive about what inspires them or, or comparisons, but you guys were like, the exact opposite it was like no we're gonna rip off these seven things on this song <laughs> which was interesting it made me wonder when you when you work on music are, are y'all constantly talking about other songs or is it more just
4: unconscious flow i don't know and not constantly but for me it helps a lot during the recording process to sometimes get an idea what you want it to sound like or just to be influenced by a Uh, vocal melody maybe to get a new idea what that guy or that woman is doing in that song and maybe to push yourself a little bit to find a new way how to do it and also not only on the production side but also from the vibe and the mood a song can uh, deliver so for me uh, music from africa uh, has a strong part in how they actually approach playing music because it always seems so light and just ah oh, you know whatever I'm just gonna play that guitar now even if it's out of tune or something like that but it still sounds good in the end mm-hmm. and I learned a lot from that that it's not only about perfect playing your instrument or having the right thing at the right moment it's also about the way you feel while recording it I, yeah that inspires me a lot
0: has just not gotten enough attention in this confession and in our interview but is worth pointing out now is that our confessor went to Lebanon on someone else's dime. Like someone else paid for this guy to go to Lebanon and record a record. Why is it that you think that Like, the 10 to 15 musicians who've heard this confession and worked on this song, none of us remarked on that. It's an amazingly overlooked detail, because uh, I want that gig.
1: Yeah, it sounds (laughs) great to me. Why weren't we paying attention to that part? Who is this guy? And, you know,
0: smuggling hash aside, can we come record in Beirut? Maybe it's because we're all a bunch of bottom feeders who are constantly seeking out uh, large sums of money from different sorts of people just to sort of make our art. <laughs> yeah, art. art's weird. You, you're like almost
1: working with the mob half the time. It's just like shady people giving you money that call themselves
0: patrons. Yeah, I mean, one example that this brings to mind for me is in Austin, uh, an artist, uh, a, a singer-songwriter. All I'll say is that he has beautiful red hair. That's all I'll say. It's not me. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> no, 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 not talking me. talking about yourself? No, I'm not talking about me. It's I'm not just, that red, for I'm, the record. Walker's yeah. his hair. Is strawberry. Thank you. It's not me. Another redheaded lad. He had a patron uh, who was a rich real estate guy in town. Oh, my favorite kind. And this guy offered some serious money to him. And in the course of six weeks, he had handed over like, almost a $100,000 to these musicians and was trying to control everything from like how they dress to what they sound like to where they play. And yeah, I mean, I I know other stories like this, but... Yeah, that's the thing. It always feels
1: great because there's some guys like, oh, here's all this money. You could record, you could tour, you could buy new gear. Mm -hmm. But Then there's always... The the weird stipulations start coming, and it's like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure I own you, so you're going to do it my way, and I know nothing about music or the entertainment industry at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the the other part of the confession that's interesting is that they didn't really record.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They just smoked a bunch of hash, and then he almost got him killed. It's amazing. Which is also such a rich guy move. It's like, oh, yeah, this is super illegal, but... We don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't matter what country
0: you're in. That's a rich guy move. Yeah. The other thing that we, like, haven't really talked about, but it's totally worth talking about, is doing drugs and making music. (laughs) We've talked about that on other episodes. Yeah, but it is cool.
1: (laughs) Hash Hash was written and performed by C. Moya. Simoya is Elias Forster, David Schnitzler, and Bruce Tillman.
0: Sorry, I don't speak German. That was a fucking admirable effort Thank at you. pronouncing those German names. The Song Confessional podcast is produced by me, Walker Lukens, Zach Catanzaro, Aaron Blackerby, Michael Lee, Rylan Kettery, and Jim Eno. It is distributed by KUTX. The song confessional theme song was written by me, Walker Lukens. It was performed by me, Zach, James Wesley Essary, and Sam Panky. It was produced by Jim Eno. As always, if you like this podcast,
1: the absolute best thing you can do for us is to tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell your
0: mother, tell your father, tell anybody. Thank you so much, KUTX, for distributing this podcast, and thank you to Elizabeth McQueen for all your help along the way.
1: Thanks again to Simoya.